Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to the February 2022 CTSS quiz. I have 10 outstanding cases for your review, and without further ado, let's get started. In this first case, what's the most diagnosis? Well, if you look at the images, you see soft tissue thickening around the arch and descending thoracic aorta. It's higher density. Probably if you measure it as about 90 Hounsfield units, you don't see a dissection flap and the aortic root looks okay. So if you look at the choices, it's surely not a type A dissection because the root's okay. It's not plaque because plaque tends to be irregular, may have calcifications, different density, and it's surely not flow-related changes. I just threw that one in. This is the classic appearance of an intramural hematoma. Often you'll see a small leak from the lumen into this intramural hematoma, so you want to look very carefully. Intramural hematomas will be treated conservatively in most cases, and they will resolve over time. But it's a wonderful diagnosis and something really nicely shown on CT scanning, and this is just an excellent example. In this patient presenting with back pain, what's the best diagnosis? If you look at the images, you see multiple air bubbles on the left side of the aorta and even going behind the aorta. You can see at that level there's outpouching of the aorta, so there's a focal aneurysm, but a focal aneurysm in and of itself is not going to give you air bubbles. You also notice in this patient the duodenum comes across the aorta, and where it tracks across the aorta, you sort of lose its boundary. So what's the best diagnosis? Well, it is an aortic aneurysm. I can't argue about that. It's not really a dissection. It's an aneurysm with a big ulceration. And you can see that's a good choice as well. But the best diagnosis in aortoenteric fistula. What's happened here is the aorta has eroded into the duodenum, which explains the air around the aorta. This is in a medical and surgical emergency. Aortoenteric fistula are uncommon. They do occur in current patients who are IV drug abusers. They do occur in patients with septicemia. They also can occur in patients who have severe uh, disease of the bowel, which involves the aorta secondarily. The most common location is where the duodenum crosses the aorta. So just a beautiful example of aortoenteric fistula. The best diagnosis in this patient with hemoptysis is well, what do we see? On the axial views, we see bronchiectatic changes in the upper lung regions with a soft tissue mass in the left apex, which is going to be a soft tissue mass in a cavity or an aspergilloma. We can see that because of the disease process going on, the pulmonary arteries are elevated. Everything is being drawn up to the apex of the lung. The lower lung fields are hyperinflated, but there's loss of volume in the upper lung regions. So what are we dealing with? Well, it's bilateral. This is not the appearance of lung cancer. I guess you can argue there's a lung cancer hiding there, but it wouldn't explain the bilateral nature of the changes. The patient does have probably COPD, but that's not the major problem. It's really not lymphoma because this is not adenopathy. I guess if you had lymphoma and you were treated and had multiple infections previously, you can get an awesome um, series of changes in the lung which can be very similar but this is really great for sarcoidosis sarcoidosis inflammatory changes involving the upper lungs predominantly right and left side 
traction and contraction, bronchiectasis and fibrosis in the upper lung regions. And since these patients often are treated with steroids, it's not uncommon to get secondary infections, like this patient had an aspergilloma in the left upper lobe cavity. Just a beautiful example of end-stage sarcoidosis. The most likely diagnosis in this case is, well, if you don't see the findings, but if you look at the answers, you know I'm talking about vascular disease and focusing on arthritis. When you look carefully at the images, you see the soft tissue thickening around the aorta with narrowing of the aorta lumen. So you know we're dealing with some sort of vasculitis. It's the aorta, which means it's large vessel disease. You're typically thinking about Takayashu's and you're thinking about giant cell. Takayashu's more commonly involves the arch, particularly the left subclavian artery. Kawasaki's, you usually think about coronary artery aneurysms. Ernheim Chester can give soft tissue thickening surrounding the aorta and in fact narrow the lumen, but then you typically will have renal changes. The kidneys look good here. And this obviously not simply atherosclerotic disease. So just a beautiful example of giant cell arteritis. Again, large vessel disease. In this 30-year-old female with right upper quadrant pain, what's the best diagnosis? If you look at the two images on the axial image, arterial phase, you see an enhancing lesion in the left lobe of the liver. It's vascular, but not as hypervascular as hepatomas typically are, but there's lots of variation. There's fatty infiltration in the remaining liver. And then when you look at the images with MIP, you see the vessels are stretched, you see the vascularity, but you don't see any changes of cirrhosis. I always like to think about hepatoma in cirrhotic livers. You don't need cirrhosis to have a hepatoma, but that makes it more likely. You also don't have the neovascularity you typically associate with hepatoma. So what could this be? FNH is the thought, but then the lesions typically are more homogeneous in terms of enhancing. And the way the vessel is stretched, it would be less common. With FNH, if often is a central vessel going into the lesion because there's a central scar, but we don't see a central scar here. Angiosarcomas are irregular and really hypervascular, and they're very rare tumors, but the hypervascularity and the bright blush is something we don't see here. This is a great example of hepatic adenoma. Remember, hepatic adenomas are often considered pre-malignant, so the distance from hepatic adenoma to hepatoma may be small, and they will be resected. Again, spontaneous bleed is the most common complication of hepatic adenomas, and in this case, you would have wondered if the patient may have had some bleeding within the lesion, but just an excellent example of hepatic adenoma. The most likely diagnosis for this mass is, well, the first thing you have to figure out, where is the mass? Well, when you look at the axial and coronals, it's coming off the tail of the pancreas. It's cystic, though the wall looks a little bit thickened. I have to admit, if you told me this was a cystic uh, pancreatic adenocarcinoma, I couldn't argue with you. If you told me the patient was really young and it was a spend tumor, I couldn't argue with you. If you told me this was a mucinous tumor of the pancreas in a 40-ish-year-old woman with nodularity and high-grade dysplasia or early malignancy, I couldn't argue with you. But in fact, this lesion was a serous cyst adenoma. I'm showing it to you, and I'm going to give you credit for almost every answer. But this shows you the difficulty and overlap between lesions. Serous cyst adenomas, we like to think about purely cystic, with thin septations, may be 
uh, dystrophic calcification. We don't see any of those findings here. So it's really a tough call. And I've, in this case, I would say this patient is going to have this resected because I'm really just too concerned with dealing with a mucinocystic neoplasm. And because of the wall thickening, I would worry about high-grade dysplasia. But at surgery, this was a serous cystadenoma. Just one of the challenges with serous cystadenomas, which often are so classic, but not that uncommonly are really difficult diagnoses. In this patient with shortness of breath, what's the best diagnosis? Well, what you see is a large mass infiltrating the patient's left hilum. It's involving the patient's left pulmonary artery. And yes, you could think about a massive pulmonary embolism, but the large mass that is beyond the pulmonary artery makes this unlikely. What you're dealing with is something outside the pulmonary artery, perhaps growing in. Maybe it's metastatic sarcomas, which do occur. Maybe it's lymphoma, though lymphoma usually compresses, not directly invading the pulmonary artery. But when you see a large mass filling in the pulmonary artery, and especially if it has a large exophytic component, you have to be thinking about pulmonary artery sarcoma. It's an unusual diagnosis, but an important diagnosis, often confused with PE, particularly when there's no large extraluminal component, but it's a PE that gets treated but doesn't get better. So you have to know a little bit about pulmonary artery sarcomas. The best diagnosis in this patient with widening of the mediastinum is well, when you look, you see a large mass in the middle mediastinum extending to a posterior mediastinum. It's homogeneous. It's low density. Lymphoma is a consideration because lymphoma is always a consideration, but they're usually more solid. It could be a mediastinal abscess, but there's no pleural effusion. There's no infiltrates. And, you know, mediastinal abscesses often have air. They're more irregular and they're uncommon. It could be lung cancer, but it's so smooth and well-defined that would seem to be less likely. This was a bronchogenic cyst. Bronchogenic cysts are often best seen in the subcarinal region or the right paratracheal region. They're often water density, often two to four centimeters. But just to let you know, bronchogenic cysts can be higher attenuation and bronchogenic cysts can be larger. This was a larger bronchogenic cyst. Location in the subcarinal region was perfect but you can get confused because it was so large. And that's why I'm showing you the case and a typical presentation of a bronchogenic cyst. This patient was in their 40s, I believe. Most bronchogenic cysts are picked up at an earlier age, but not always. In this patient with the right apical mass, what's the most likely diagnosis? Well, when you look quickly, you see a large mass. And so the first thing you're going to say is lung cancer. Maybe it's a pancos tumor with rib destruction. There's rib involvement and there's some matrix present, and you could say, aha, maybe it's an osteosarcoma of the chest wall. That's very rare. You could think about lymphoma, but lymphoma involving the chest wall only and the matrix within the lesion would make it very unusual. And then when you look at the entire lesion and you look at how it's expansile of the rib, how you see matrix present, you then recognize you're dealing with a process of bone. Fibrous dysplasia. Fibrous dysplasia classically can involve ribs. It's expansile, has the matrix from the rib, has soft tissue. And this is a wonderful example of fibrous dysplasia. Again, you can see why it can be confusing. You need to have seen a few cases. 
Most of the time it's focal expansion of a rib and it's not a very difficult diagnosis, but in a case like this where there's a large mass, it can be much more challenging. The most likely diagnosis in this patient with neurologic symptoms is, well, you look at the images and what do you see? When you look at the patient's, uh, the patient's left carotid artery, as well as the left subclavian artery, the lumen is markedly narrowed and the soft tissue thickening around the vessel. It doesn't have the appearance of atherosclerosis. This is the appearance of vasculitis. Now what vasculitis typically involves the left subclavian and probably the left carotid, but especially left subclavian, is not polyaritis nodosa, is not giant cell, which typically involves the aorta. Takayashu's aortitis is the classic large vessel disease that involves the left subclavian artery and can involve multiple vessels as in this case. Kawasaki's more commonly involves the coronary arteries with coronary artery aneurysms. So this is a wonderful case of Takayashu's aortitis. Well, those were 10 terrific cases. I hope you enjoyed all the cases. I hope you got all of them right, but more importantly, I hope we're able to challenge you and force you to learn something new. And with that, have a great February, and we'll see you next month. Bye-bye. If you like this video, make sure to subscribe to the CTSS YouTube channel. You can also visit us at ctss.com for even more videos, plus quizzes, pearls, protocols, and oh so much more. We're also in the App Store and have well over a dozen apps for iPhone and iPad, all completely free. Thanks for watching.